On this episode of Blue 58, one of the biggest names from the Packers' 2018 offseason is apparently going to be back in 2019. But is it a good thing that we're having another go-around with Jimmy Graham? Let's discuss. Then we dive into our game-by-game review of the 2018 season. Spoiler alert, this is about as happy as it's going to be for a while. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, I'm excited to be with you here for this episode, as I am every time we speak together, because today we get to start one of my most favorite projects, looking game by game at a season. This is a lot of fun for reasons we'll explain when we get to that point in a little bit, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the next few episodes in particular as we dive deeper into the offseason by looking back at the 2018 season. But before we get to that, we've got to talk about Jimmy Graham. Because Ian Rappaport offers this news today on the notorious anger-generating website, Twitter.com, throws out this, what he calls a non-Super Bowl tidbit, quote, When the Packers prepare for the offseason, they do so with the belief that tight end Jimmy Graham will be back for 2019, source said. He's due a $5 million roster bonus on March 15th, and the expectation now is they pay it, and he returns another season with Aaron Rodgers, end quote. Is keeping Jimmy Graham a good idea? Well, the Packers are in a bit of a tough spot. As Rappaport says, they've got a $5 million roster bonus due to Jimmy Graham on March 15th. So that plays into the considerations here. There would also be a substantial charge for cutting him in that he would still count against the Packers cap a fair amount. So that's less than ideal. And the performance from 2018 was less than ideal too. But none of those really have anything to do with keeping Jimmy Graham in 2019, I don't think. The better question is, was signing Jimmy Graham ever a really good idea? Happened almost exactly a year ago. Here's what we said at the time, way back in episode number 73, if you care to listen. The Packers signed Jimmy Graham... My initial impression from my notes at the time was that this seemed like a solid move, but there is a cap on the excitement because this isn't 2013. The Packers were not getting the 2013 version of Jimmy Graham. And if the Packers were getting that version, you should be losing your minds because they'd probably be getting the best tight end in the NFL. The question that I had at the time was how much of Graham's apparent decline in 17 and 16 was due to age and what was due to how he was used. For instance, his last year in New Orleans, he took more than 300 snaps as a slot receiver. In Seattle, it took until he was there uh, the third year he was there to get to 200 snaps as a slot receiver. And he was 31 as well at the time. There's no reason I thought to be at least, at the very least, a little concerned about age-related decline being a problem. As it turned out, much of that skepticism was borne out, both from a usage perspective and from that age-related decline. Let's address that latter point first, because I think it's pretty clear looking back that Jimmy Graham definitely had some dead legs in 2018. No spring trying to outjump guys at the goal line, no lateral quickness. He certainly wasn't the 2013 version of Jimmy Graham, and he wasn't really even the 2017 version of Jimmy Graham. There was also reason to think that part of the reason that he wasn't performing as well as he maybe could have was just his general 
usage. Because prior to his thumb breaking, he still had three games of five catches and 75 yards or more. He was getting force-fed the ball a lot, but that's fine. There was still some good things that he could be done, could do outside of running fade routes. But he was limited a little bit by the scheme the Packers ran. He was in line as a blocker a lot more than he probably would have guessed. And I've seen the clips too online. It didn't look great. It was bad. But if you're asking Jimmy Graham to block at age 31 in 2018, that's probably a you problem more than a Jimmy Graham problem. Because the book on Jimmy Graham is pretty clear. He's never been a big blocker. If you're asking him to block after who knows how many years in the league of him not being a good blocker, that kind of just seems like a miscalculation on your part. I think there is reason for hope in Matt LaFleur's scheme that things could be a little bit better. He uses tight ends very differently than the Packers have in the past. He uses them in greater numbers. And that could be an advantage for Graham. I feel a little bit more comfortable with the idea of Matt LaFleur being flexible and figuring out how to use Jimmy Graham well than I was with Mike McCarthy doing the same. Because something that's always been true about Mike McCarthy is that the scheme has taken precedence over players. He's never really been good at figuring out how to build players into his scheme as opposed to trying trying to just fit the scheme onto the players. That was a problem in 2015 when Jordy Nelson went down and they couldn't figure out ways to adapt, albeit partly an Aaron Rodgers problem too. And it's kind of been a problem since then. Aaron Rodgers has been hurt in 2017 and 2018. And the Packers never could really adjust to do the things their personnel were capable of doing. That was a big problem with Jimmy Graham in 2018. But stripping all that aside, if I had to guess right now, I'd say he'll probably be about the same in 2018. If he comes back healthy from this broken thumb, doesn't have the knee issues that he seemed to battle all this year, maybe efficiency-wise things step up a little bit. But I wouldn't expect a big jump, though I think there is some reason to be optimistic about the Packers using him a little bit better. Moving on to coaching, the Packers have added another name to their staff. They actually announced officially a few names today, but I would like to discuss one in particular very quickly. Mike Smith, the outside linebackers coach to go with the inside linebackers coach they hired last week. Fulfilling what we said last week when We expected a move like this given that um, the last guy they hired was specifically hired to coach inside linebackers. The connections between Mike Smith and Mike Pettin run pretty deep as both a player and a coach for Smith, as it turns out. As a player, Pettin coached him when he was with the Baltimore Ravens. As a coach, Smith worked for Pettin when Pettin was the defensive coordinator for the New York Jets. Smith helped Pettin get back into coaching while Smith was with the Chiefs, where he's been the last three years, and has had quite a bit of success there. Interesting guy. I like the connections to Pettin, and I like the philosophical approach of having a dedicated outside linebackers coach to work directly with the outside linebackers. Hopefully now they just give him some to work with, as opposed to the uh, rather underwhelming group they had outside of Kyler Fackrell, still weird to say, in 2018. Let's move on to the meat of the show here reviewing all of the games of 2018. Not in this podcast. We're only doing two in this one. We're going to do two at a time until we work our way through all 16 games from the 2018 Packers schedule. Why do we do this? 
A few reasons. First, I think it's worth teasing out the truth of the narrative in 2018. A lot of things happen over the course of a season that kind of build out a story that we tell ourselves about a particular team. And not all of that is true. Some things just kind of become the accepted way of thinking and talking about things because enough people repeat it, we repeat it to ourselves, and we just start to believe it. Looking back game by game, it helps us to um, understand why things developed the, the way they did in terms of storylines and what may actually have been the deeper truth. For instance, in the games, one of the games that we're going to look at today, we saw the Packers take on the Minnesota Vikings. And at the time, I think the general understanding was, well, the Packers struggled in that game because Aaron Rodgers was hurt. The offense was a little bit ineffective, but it's probably mostly due to the injury. Looking back, at an entire season of the offense being largely ineffective, it's hard to blame everything just on an injury. Generally speaking, the Packers were not great on offense in 2018. And we can knock down a little bit of our thinking from the time and say, well, there are some bigger issues at play here, and maybe we saw some of those emerge in the Vikings game. Secondly, it might be a good tool to help us remember some important things that we forgot. Who left particular games at crucial times? How did their injuries or just minor fluctuations in the way the game progressed affect later parts of the season? Finally, it may also help us remember who did what and when and why, as we'll discuss here in this first game, the Packers versus Bears game in week one. How are we going to do this? Three questions about each game that we'll try to answer. First, what led up to this game? What were the circumstances surrounding each game? Second, what happened in the game itself? The the play-by-play, the beat-by-beat breakdown of why things went down. We're not going to do every single play from every single game, but we'll try to hit the broad strokes of what happened and why. Finally, how should we remember an individual game? What did it contribute to the overall story of the 2018 season? If we answer those questions, I think we've done a pretty good job, and hopefully we'll be able to answer those questions as we go game by game through the 2018 season. And that season starts, as every season does, in week one, when the Packers hosted the Chicago Bears at Lambeau Field for a Sunday night extravaganza on September 9th, 2018. What led up to this game? Well, the Packers were completing their final cuts, including a few surprises, This one was one that I had to look back on to remember in particular. Vince Beagle got the axe, and we noted at the time that he was one, or since 1998, Beagle was, rephrase this again, since 1998 to 2018, only six Packers fourth-round picks played fewer than 10 games in the NFL, and Beagle was one of them. He played nine games with the Packers. Uh, Another notable name, less than him, Carl Bradford. Jamon Moore also actually qualifies for that list, although he ended up, I guess, in a way, passing Beagle this year. So Beagle, one of the least successful Packers picks in in recent Packers history. You may also have forgotten that Jake Kumaro initially survived the first round of roster cuts and then didn't. He was uh, moved to injured reserve to free up another roster spot, though they had to carry him through the initial round of cuts so he could get to injured reserve. But most notably, leading up to the Packers game, the Chicago Bears traded for Khalil Mack. This happened on September 1st of 2018, less than a week before the Packers played the Chicago Bears. And as you'll remember, the Packers were reportedly in on the Khalil Mack sweepstakes, but the Bears ended up prevailing. At the time, I argued this was all about the money and the Packers being reluctant to tie up $200 million or so guaranteed 
for Mac and Aaron Rodgers together. There's a bit of opportunity cost there too. Would you rather have Khalil Mack now or have the opportunity to re-sign several guys next year and into the future? Uh, arguing that the uh, the Packers core, such as it is, might be more worth keeping together than Khalil Mack at 30 or so. The money, I think, is still a legit sticking point, especially when you're trying to keep your core relatively balanced. And I wonder, looking back, and I don't want to make this a Khalil Mack podcast, but looking at how the 2018 season played out, were the Packers one Khalil Mack away from contention last season? Probably not, unfortunately. As nice as it would be to have a player like Khalil Mack on the Packers, And I've softened a lot on the idea of the Packers actually trading for him because I think you can make these things work with the cap uh, a lot more easily than you could in the past. But how much would he have really helped this past year? I think the Packers' problems were deeper than just one player. And having multiple first-round picks to address those issues in 2019 might be be at least a good, a situ- as good a situation. Sure, the chances that you're going to get someone who's as good as Khalil Mack are probably low, but the Packers need more depth at more places than just Khalil Mack can provide. So I think there's a case to be made for even if you're not going to add a player who's good, as good as Khalil Mack, having multiple bites at the apple is still better. At the time, we were also wondering, we meaning the power sweep, if the Bears had really closed the gap with the Packers. And here's what I wrote in our preview, or read in our preview. You can go back and listen to the preview episode. Quote, as of this recording, the Packers are still 7.5 point favorites over the Bears, despite their huge addition over cutdown weekend. The Bears are much improved over last year, make no mistake, but I don't think they're far enough along in their development to give the Packers much of a scare this weekend, especially considering the Packers made some improvements of their own, end quote. How wrong I ended up being. And we know exactly how wrong by diving into what exactly happened in this game. The start, and most really in all of the first half, were about the worst thing imaginable. It went about as badly as you possibly could imagine. Packers' first drive looked bad right out of the gate. A one-yard run, an 11-yard run, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, punt. Chicago drives down and scores a touchdown. The Packers are on offense again. A sack, a seven-yard completion, a 48-yard completion, but it's called back thanks to a hold on Justin McRae, then a 15-yard completion on third and 23. Very, very useful. A punt. Chicago again scores. This time a field goal is 10-0 Bears, and the Packers come out for drive number three, an incompletion, a one-yard completion, and then it happens. Aaron Rodgers is sacked. A player falls on his knee, and he has to be carted off the field. The visions of the 2018 season coming to a screeching halt, already emerging in the minds of Packers fans. And then things somehow get worse. The Bears punt. Deshaun Kaiser comes in and gets things moving on offense, but then he makes the unusual decision to run directly into Khalil Mack and is sacked and fumbles, and Khalil Mack recovers. Though Chicago punts and the Packers get the ball back with a minute 48 left, Mike McCarthy decides to get a little bit aggressive, go for points, or at least some field position, or something before the the half, it ends up being a monumentally terrible decision. Because Deshaun Kaiser somehow manages to throw the ball directly to Khalil Mack, who returns the ball 
for a touchdown because, of course, it had to be Khalil Mack. It couldn't fall into the hands of Kyle Fuller or any of the other quality defensive players the Bears have. It just has to be the perfect narrative-making strike to fall directly into the hands of Khalil Mack. The first half mercifully comes to an end with the Bears leading 17 to nothing. but the second half, you know the story of the second half. I won't break it down play by play, but let's focus on a few key things. First, the Packers didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. All of those touchdowns they did score ended up being Aaron Rodgers' touchdown passes. Going into this game, Aaron Rodgers had thrown 96 touchdown passes in the fourth quarter or overtime, but there was not a single instance of him throwing three touchdown passes in a fourth quarter in his career to date. But that is exactly what he did. The first one, an absolute beauty to Geronimo Allison. And let's talk about two aspects of that play. First, being that it was his second and two, and the Bears were trying to preserve, I think, Khalil Mack a little bit, he was not on the field, and the Bears only rushed four players. Turns out to have been a huge mistake. Geronimo Allison ends up beating Kyle Fuller one-on-one down the right sideline. Interesting that it happened to be Fuller because Fuller signed with the Packers on a restricted or a transition tag offer sheet in the offseason. A nice little bit of, I don't want to call it buyer's remorse, but something similar to buyer's remorse, though Fuller would go on to have a pretty good season in 2018. Third, Devontae Adams finished this game with five catches for 88 yards and a touchdown, but three of them and 69 yards of them and the touchdown all came on one drive. That should have been the short sort of foreshadowing uh, for some sort of foreshadowing. Finally got that word out for the kind of year that he was going to go on to have. And it was a beautiful year for Adams. Even if the rest of the team wasn't great, he had a spectacular year. After Devonte Adams scored his touchdown, the Bears almost put it away. They came back in the fourth quarter with a nearly perfect drive. And this kind of gets lost in the in looking back at this game. But the Bears very nearly put this away. They took over with nine minutes and one second left on their own 25. And they finished with a field goal with two minutes and 42 seconds left. They took up six minutes and 19 seconds of game time. They converted three third downs. And although they couldn't get a third and two late, kicking the field goal to go up 23-17 to is still probably the right call. But imagine if Matt Nagy had gone for it and gotten it. You probably would have put the Packers away. At the very least, you would have taken close to a minute, maybe more, off the game clock. And I kind of think that late season Matt Nagy probably would have. This game shows a little bit of the growth and the decline of, uh, of both teams. The growth of one team, the decline of one the other over the course of the season. Fifth, the iconic, now iconic, Aaron Rodgers to Randall Cobb 75-yard touchdown pass came on third and 10. Nothing to add there, just a little bit interesting because you're just setting yourself up for even more absolutely gotta-have-it type moments by putting it on third and 10. Finally, Here are the four last Mitchell Trubisky plays of this game, just because it's a little bit on the satisfying side. Incomplete pass, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, sack fumble. Game over. Packers win. How should we remember this game? Well, first, I think we should remember it as the high point of the Packers season, without question. You're beating your hated rival, a historic comeback, 
and as good probably as Aaron Rodgers was going to be in 2018 with the possible exception of the 49ers game. Second, this was probably the last ride of Randall Cobb. And I'm not saying he couldn't come back in 2019, though I kind of think that's unlikely. But this was the last big, great moment in Randall Cobb's career. And Cobb has had some enormous moments with the Packers. And if this was the last big one, it was a good one. But it was also one of only five games where he played more than 80% of the snaps in 2018. And it was also his only game in 2018 with more than 50 receiving yards. You wouldn't have known it at the time, but this was as good as things were going to get for Randall Cobb, too. Finally, we should remember this game of a preview for where both teams were headed. The Packers were hugely inefficient early, both with Rodgers and with Kaiser. The Bears, meanwhile, grounded out and found success through efficient offense, both through the air and on the ground. Got a stellar effort from their defense and almost won in the end. Also, like in the playoffs, both their defense and Mitchell Trubisky were great until they weren't. And that was kind of the Bears in 2018. So the Packers leave week one at 1-0, and as good as you can start a season. It's not ideal. Aaron Rodgers is banged up, but heading into game two, hosting the Minnesota Vikings at Lambeau Field on the 16th of September, the Packers are feeling pretty good. The Vikings handled the 49ers pretty well in week one as we look at what led up to the week two game. They came out on top 24-16 to in the first game of the Kirk Cousins era. Cousins himself was efficient but unspectacular in week one. Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray both played well. The Packers, meanwhile, spent all week trying to figure out how hurt Aaron Rodgers was. He practiced with the rehab group all week. Quote-unquote a game-time decision, though the Packers and the Vikings had a pretty good idea of whether or not he was going to play. Interesting to note, if you look back, the uh, Star Tribune, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, posted this interesting headline during the week, quote, Packers have a lot to lose if Aaron Rodgers plays Sunday against the Vikings, end quote. Just a little light concern trolling there from the Star Tribune. This week, the Packers also signed two corners, Deontay Burton and Will Redmond. Redmond did end up playing some fairly significant snaps on special teams and a bit on defense late in the season. Heading into this game, I was very high-minded in my coverage. I described it as something of a turning point for Packers-Vikings. Maybe a time when the Packers turned things around against their hated Viking rivals. This, of course, the first time Aaron Rodgers had played the Vikings since they ended his season in 2017. The Packers, perhaps due to Rodgers' injury, were dogs at home in this one. The Vikings were favored by two points, according to pro football reference. But as we look at what happened in the game, it was hard to see why. Early on, the Packers started fairly strong here. Josh Jackson scores a touchdown on a blocked punt. The Packers go on to score on three of their first six drives. The Vikings, meanwhile, did nothing at all, really, until late in the third quarter. Three of their four touchdowns they ended up scoring in this game uh, didn't happen until after four minutes were left in the third quarter. This was, of course, the roughing the passer game. But you may not remember that roughing the passer actually turned this game twice. The Packers benefited from a roughing the passer call on a scoring drive right before the end of the first half. Eric Kendricks got flagged for a hit that was just as borderline as the one against Clay Matthews. But this one, taken in context, I don't think seems quite so bad because just 
the drive prior, there was an egregious pass interference call on Jimmy Graham that went unflagged. Packers also got busted for an offensive pass interference call on a very sketchy call on this same drive, on the same drive that Graham was flagged on, that took a touchdown off the board for the Packers, more or less. But then, of course, there is the roughing call. Late in the fourth quarter, Clay Matthews gets called for roughing the passer, negating an interception that would have ended the game, in effect. And that call, no doubt, changes that game tremendously. The Packers had the game won there, full stop. But, as we discussed in our post-game podcast that week, the Packers still should have won this game, and they had multiple, multiple opportunities to do so. We pointed out, post-game, there were three drives where the Packers had an opportunity to make a more significant impact on the Vikings than they did. Starting with their eighth drive, the Packers had a third and two deep in Vikings territory, but Aaron Rodgers audibled at the line of scrimmage, going with a kill call, ended up running an inside zone type play, and Everson Griffin made the stop. The Packers settled for a field goal. Packers missed an opportunity to take some time off the clock there. The next drive, the Vikings go down and score very quickly, in part because Devon House has subbed in for Kevin King, who has left with an injury. Packers get the ball again. Clock is down to three minutes, but they go inside run, inside run. And then a five wide receiver look on third and sixth, and Rodgers has to throw the ball away. No time goes off the clock on that throwaway, of course. On the next Vikings drive, haha, Clinton Dix gets a pick, but then on first and 10, the Packers do a running play that goes nowhere. On second and 10, Aaron Rodgers takes a shot to Devontae Adams in the end zone, Incomplete pass stops the clock. Then a delay delay of game penalty. Then on third and 15, there's a no call on an iffy possible pass interference call. And the Packers end up having to settle for a field goal. Two of those three plays stop the clock for the Vikings. And it's weird that the Packers managed the clock so so badly there. It's also weird that the Packers did so poorly selecting plays after either the Vikings called timeouts or the Packers had extra time to look at plays because they ended up in a delay of game situation. The Packers, though they were put behind the eight ball by the refs, did everything they could to lose this game on their own as well. And then, of course, Mason Crosby misses what should have been a game-winning field goal at the end of regulation. Neither team can get points in overtime, and this game ends with a 29-29 to tie. So how should we remember this game? Well, in hindsight, I think this is the first evidence that something isn't quite right with the 2018 Packers. They couldn't close this game. The offense was majorly out of rhythm for pretty much the entire second half, and at the time, it was easy to blame those things on a few things. The refs certainly didn't help the Packers at all. Aaron Rodgers was, of course, a week removed from a serious knee injury, and the Vikings, we still thought, were Super Bowl-caliber contenders. But as it turned out, most of the problems with the Packers were internal. Aaron Rodgers' injury, of course, lingered for some time, but you can't blame the refs as a sustainable strategy. And the Vikings ended up not being the real world-beating team we thought they were going to be. The inability to finish strong proved to be a big 
problem, and it affected both the offense and defense all season long. Look how many games involved the Packers coming up short or just falling apart late. Many of them. It was also a good example in this particular game of the Packers having some promising young pieces. This was the first time that Marquez Valdez-Scantling saw any significant game action. Kenny Clark also had a big game in this one. But all in all, I think it's that consistency, that inability to close that showed up in this game. And it was a theme that would continue for the 2018 Packers throughout the season. While I've got you here, let's talk for a second about Wes Welker. He is reportedly interviewed for a job in Green Bay. We don't know what it is, but there, I think, are a couple possibilities here. First and most obvious, wide receivers coach. The Packers don't have one yet. They did hire Luke Getze, but he's going to be the quarterback's coach. I would like to propose that he could also be a candidate for the vacant special teams coach position. Welker was a special teams assistant in Houston, in addition to being an offensive assistant. He also has a significant background of contributing on special teams, was a very solid punt returner in New England for quite a while. And I think of all the various areas where you could pull somebody from the Patriots, I know he's not a coach with the Patriots, but he has significant Patriots connections, of all the areas where you could do that and have someone have success, I think special teams could be it. Bill Belichick is obsessed with special teams. He's got a deep, deep special teams background, and he values special teams probably more than any other coach in the NFL. If any of that is transferable to Wes Welker or a coach, that would be of use to the Packers because their special teams units have been abysmal. So I don't want to rule out the possibility that Welker could contribute in that area. The obvious fit is wide receivers coach. But that's maybe not the only fit for him in Green Bay. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. You can find us, as you always do, on Facebook and on Twitter and at thepowersweep.com. Reach out if you'd be so kind via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you'd be so kind, support us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar per month helps offset the costs of hosting this podcast and our website. If you'd like to wear your support for us on your sleeve, Order a t-shirt from Teespring. Click the shop link at thepowersweep.com. And as always, the freest and easiest way to support the show is by leaving this review on iTunes. No pressure there, although it does help more people find the show. All in all, though, we do just love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better. and helps, of course, all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm John Meerdink. I've been your host. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.